All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. If you're visiting your first time you're here, uh, you know, so glad that you joined us. I know uh, joining a new church for worship, it can be a little intimidating. Uh, so thanks for your courage to find your way in here. I hope you feel uh, welcomed and greeted and loved on and encouraged in your walk with God. You picked a great uh, Sunday to join us. In fact, you all did uh, because uh, we're beginning a brand new series. And as you can see, calling it, oh, what makes you happy? And uh, it's kind of figured we'd begin the series by adding a question mark to the end of this. And so you could just say, uh, what makes you happy? And uh, you think about it, how would you answer that? What makes you happy? Clearly, the fact that you're here today, the answer isn't primarily soccer. Or if, you, if it was, you, you probably would be watching the game right now. But um, what, how would you answer that? What, what makes you happy? See, the, the series title, it could either be kind of a question or it could be a bit of a statement or even you could so, go so far as to say like a, a, a promise. Uh, like, I'm going to tell you what makes you happy. Now, before, you know, you're, uh, you, you know, feel like I'm being a little presumptuous and thinking that I could tell you what makes you happy. It's worth recognizing that every time you uh, watch TV, every time you open up a magazine, every time you listen to the radio, every time you go on the internet, there are people that you have never met, probably in places that you've never visited, trying to sell you something that they say will make you happy, right? And we have all uh, fallen for that one or two or a hundred different times, haven't we? And we just have like listening to this or watching this thing and you're thinking, you know what? I don't know how they knew, but that would make me happy if I could just have that or if, if only I drove that or if only I went there or only if I, you know, if only if I, if only if I. And, and we get that thing sometimes. We go out, we actually go get that thing and, and you know, we all recognize that whatever it was, uh, it didn't really make us happy. Or at least we could say it didn't make us happy for very long, right? Yeah, the, uh, so in light of that, we're starting this series. And there's some of us that, that may, and I don't think this is the most, the majority of us here today or majority of those that are in our church family but, uh, would fall in this category. But there, there, I think there are some here that would perhaps readily admit, I don't know what makes me happy. I don't know what makes me happy. One way to know if you fall in that category is if you keep trying to be happy, but you're not happy, then perhaps that could be a clue that you don't know how to be happy. And I think that there are, you know, there's probably many of us, we've probably all been there at some point in time, and perhaps many of us are even there now. And so hopefully this series will be helpful for you to point you towards what can really make you happy. Now, there's another group here today that I would expect is uh, probably the majority of us, and that is that we probably know what makes us happy, but we drift from it, or we, f- we forget it. And one of the reasons we forget what makes us happy is because uh, the, what, the true thing that makes us happy isn't reinforced in our culture today. That the messages and all the things that we hear from culture and and from the ads and the commercials and all that kind of stuff, it it tells us what will make us happy is really kind of a quick fix happiness. Because you can market quick fix happiness, but you can't really market what truly makes you happy. But because you can't really market that, you don't hear much about that. That message doesn't get reinforced. We just hear and bombarded by messages about quick fix happiness or what I would like to call caffeine happiness, like espresso shot 
happiness, right? It makes you happy for a second, but then it, it fades. I've heard it said this, that um, if, if, you, uh, if, an, if, if an aging thing deflates your happiness, that is if something that gets older makes you less happy, then you weren't actually happy to begin with. You were just marketed to, right? And we can all kind of recognize like, oh, yeah, yeah. But that is, that's the kind of stuff that we hear over and over again. And because that's the message that we're, that's reinforced to us, it's easy to drift from the thing that truly makes us happy. And so that's why we're going to give a few weeks to this topic. What makes you happy? And I'm going to try to be so bold as to tell you what makes you happy. Now, before we get started, I want to clear up just one, uh, you know, kind of common misconception, and that is that happiness and joy are significantly different things. That's not true. Happiness and joy are not significantly different things. Like, if you go to the dictionary and you look up the definition of happiness, you'll see that it says uh, to be full of joy, and if you look up the definition of joy in the dictionary, then you would see happiness is, is, or joy is defined as someone who's happy or someone who's experiencing happiness, right? And so they're synonyms. They're not dramatically different things. So I'm going to use these two words interchangeably throughout this series, and I just want you to know that they are interchangeable words. <laughs> they are synonyms. In fact, even in the Bible, the, there's, the Bible uses these two words the same kind of way, even sometimes in the exact same verse. So, for example, in Jeremiah 31, 13, it says this, I will turn, God is making promises, I will turn their mourning into joy and give them consolation and bring happiness out of grief. Mourning and a joy, happiness out of grief. It's just two ways to say the same thing. So these are kind of mean the same thing. Now here, where this misconception comes from, and it's worth kind of putting our finger on, is that we do all recognize that there's a difference between kind of like shallow happiness, quick fix happiness, what I just referred to as caffeine happiness, temporal happiness, and and lasting like happiness and, and, and like you know, deep, satisfying kind of happiness. That's not the difference between joy and happiness. That's the difference between false happiness and real happiness, right? So that's kind of how we're going to be using this throughout this series. So for the, you know, for the, next, uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this topic, what makes you happy. So let me just jump in by stating something that I think we all know, you know, this is one of the things we, we, you know, it's not like you've heard this for the first time, it's going to really be an aha moment, but it's something it's worth stating because we can forget, we can drift from this truth. So let's begin with this, and this is, this is a statement. Uh, happiness is more about who than what. Happiness is more about who than what. There's a pastor I love to listen to at times named Andy Stanley, and this is his phrase, I'm stealing this from him. Happiness is more about who than what? And he goes on to say this, and this is helpful for me. It's like, it, you know, again, we know this, right? But if happiness was all about a what, then we could all just go home and get our happy what, or we could go out and buy our happy what, probably at Target, right? Am I right? And uh, get our happy what, and then we would just be happy all the time. And it wouldn't matter how you treated me, because as long as I could go home and get my happy what, then I would be happy but that's not how life works, is it? That a happy what often leads to a happy what's next or a happy what's else, right? Because 
Again, caffeine happiness, that's the best that a happy what can provide us, a short-term fix that fades over time. Y'all know that's true, right? I mean, you were just as excited to get your old phone as you were when you got your new phone, but your old, now your, what was the new phone is now old, and so you had to get another phone. Because that's just, <laughs> that's the pattern of life when you try to find happiness out of a what? And you can apply that to your car. You can apply that to a job. You can apply that to the next binge-worthy Netflix series. I mean, you just, you just move through these things. They don't really make you happy. And so, uh, it's also worth noting that not only is happiness not really found from a happy what, but it also can't come from things just like um, having lots of opportunities or options or entertainment. Because if, if that's where happiness, like true, you know, satisfying kind of happiness was found, then wouldn't you agree we would be the happiest generation to have ever lived? I mean, we have so many options. We have so many opportunities. We have so many travel options. We have so many entertainment options. I mean, how many of y'all have, even over this last week, spent hours just sitting in front of your TV trying to figure out what to watch? Not even watching stuff. Just, I've got so many options. I'm just perusing Netflix for hours trying to figure out. Like, we have so many options. You would think we would be the most happy people to have ever lived, but it's not true. In fact, just this last week, there was a new Harris poll released, and um, in that, they, for the last 10 years, they've been tracking the uh, happiness index for Americans for, for 10 years, and this, this year, it came out that Americans show that they are 30, 33% of Americans are happy, which actually was encouraging because it was up 2% from last year, when it was all-time low of 31%. But here's the thing, it, over the last 10 years, it's never been higher than 35%. Now you think, man, that's, that's wild. Data research over and over and over again shows that even one generation ago, one generation before is way happier than our current generation. Now if entertainment and options and opportunities, and online shopping, and Netflix, and all that kind of stuff was what made us happy. We would be the happiest, but we're not. Because what? Because happiness is more about a who than a what. Happiness is more about who than what. Now, again, my guess is that most of us know that. At least you, you have a feeling that that's true. But in light of that, an interesting question to ask is, why? You know, why is happiness more about who than what? Why would that be true? Why can't we just all go get our happy what? Why can't we just wait for that one person to invent that one thing and everyone will be happy and everything will be good? Why is, is happiness always going to be more about who than what? Well, if you take that question, friends, to the Bible to see what God says in his word what you would find is this. You would find that uh, he tells us that he made us and that he has designed us to enjoy a relationship with him and with other people. And that's why happiness is more about who than what. It's because our God made us to where we would find joy and happiness in relationships, in relationship with him and with other people. If you also we're looking for clues about happiness in Scripture, which you would find is that God absolutely does not condemn 
our search for happiness. In fact, did you know that there are 2,700 verses in Scripture about, about happiness or joy or, or pleasure or, or a gladness? The Bible has a lot to say about this topic. That God does not uh, condemn our search for happiness. Instead, he champions our search for happiness while challenging where we often look to find it. Because according to him, it's found somewhere else and where the world tells us it is found. You see, Scripture reveals that God wants us to be happy and he wants us to be wise about where we look to find happiness. And if you think about how the Bible portrays God as a perfect, loving father, then this makes perfect sense to us, right? Especially to the parents in this room. We could all say, man, we really want our kids to be happy. We do, man. We really want our kids to be happy. But we also want them to be wise about how they seek happiness, right? Now, why is that? Because we know that if our kids and their pursuit of happiness turn to heroin then it's going to undermine and destroy their happiness, right? And God, as our perfect father, feels the same way. That's, that's imaged in us because it's true of him. He wants us as his kids to be happy, but he also wants us to be wise in what we look to to satisfy our happiness because he knows that if we tur- turn to the temporal pleasures, then what we will end up doing is often undermining and destroying our long-term happiness. And so, out of his love for us, God, through his word, encourages our search for happiness and instructs us where it is found. And here's what he tells us. Happiness is found in relationships, and even more specifically, it is found in its most consistent and concentrated form in our relationship with him. And here's why. Because God is the source of happiness. God is the source of happiness. And he's the source of happiness because he is eternally happy. And so happiness springs from him and finds its source in him. Now, I wonder how that hits you. Like when you think about God... Do you view him as being happy? Is that the picture of God in your mind? Do you you think that he's a happy God? It may interest you to know that what God tells us in his word is that he is absolutely happy. In fact, we are told that he is happy in his very nature. And here's what I mean by that. That his happiness is an eternal part of who he is. That he has always been, currently is, and will forever be happiness, happy. That God is happy within himself, within the Godhead, within the Trinity. That as a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternally happy together. Now, why is that? Well, <laughs> I, I biting way too much off to, you know, to chew right here and trying to explain how the happiness within the Trinity works. But let me just try to say, put it this way kind of succinctly. Because um, I think we recognize there, there is a special, deep kind of happiness that happens when someone you truly admire loves you well. 
Because what you have within the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loving each other perfectly for all of eternity. And so the, 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 the Father loves the Son and the Spirit, and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and they are always living and enjoying and glorifying the other. And within that context is perfect happiness. And guys, that's the way that God has always been as the eternal triune God. Therefore, he is in his nature perfectly happy, has always been happy, is happy, and will forever be happy. And one reason that's important is because it means God did not create us as a result of being unhappy or being bored or being lonely. That he created us out of his overflow of the happiness that he has within himself with the goal of inviting us to share into and share his happiness. Now, where do I get? All right, so I've been sharing a bunch of stuff. I haven't been backing a lot of it up with Scripture. You're thinking, well, where are you getting these ideas? Well, let, let's, let's go to the Bible and see kind of where, where do you get the idea that God is eternally happy in his nature? And we can just go one by one, Father, Son, and Spirit. So, uh, for example, in Matthew 25, Jesus is talk, talks, tells a, a parable to tell us a little bit about what the, the Father is like. And uh, in this parable, it's a parable of the talents. You might be familiar with it, where, where the master who represents God the Father calls his servants forward, and he, he entrusts them with some talents or some money, some finances, uh, some resources. And he says, okay, you need to be faithful with these things. And then the master returns, and, uh, and they, the servants have to give an account for what they've done with the talents that the master had entrusted to him. And when the master returns, Jesus says that he'll say this, verse 21. To those that have been faithful, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And then look at how he ends it. Share your master's joy. Share your master's joy. Like the father is full of joy, and he wants to share his joy with those who have been serving him faithfully. Okay, so that's the Father. What about, what about Jesus? Well, in, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this about himself. He says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Again, like, I'm full of joy, and I want to share that with you, that my joy may be in you, that my joy, which is complete, can help you complete your joy. Or what about the Holy Spirit? Is he happy? Well, Galatians 5, and 23 lists out the characteristics that are the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, the fruit of the Spirit, and we're told this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy. It goes on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But you don't miss it. The second thing, evidence of the Spirit's work in your life is that he's producing his joy in you because the Spirit has joy. Father has joy. Son has joy. Spirit has joy. God is full of joy. He's happy in his eternal nature. Another reference I want to give you is 1 Timothy 6.15. And I love this reference. However, I think that it is tragically mistranslated in our English Bibles. Because here's what it says, that 
Paul's speaking in this, and he, and he just kind of breaks into a little bit of a, a statement about God's character. And it says this, that he is the blessed, talking about God, he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now, I say that this passage is, is tragically uh, mistranslated because this word, which I put up here, the Greek word makarios, is the word where we is translated now, blessed. But uh, the reason that it's translated blessed is because uh, of the prominence of the King James Version in, in our culture. Because makarios doesn't mean blessed in the way that we think blessed means now. Makarios means happy. It just means happy. And not just caffeine happiness, like true, satisfying happiness, like true happiness. But because of the King James Version, we're in 1611, uh, and it translated this as blessed, that, that, that word is just kind of shown back up in the, to, as a way that we often translate the word makarios. But it doesn't mean blessed, or at least I should say, it doesn't mean how we think of blessed today. Here's the thing. In 1600 English, blessed meant happy. It did. Back in the 1600s, someone blessed, they meant happy. But when we hear the word blessed, we think something like favored or honored or, or a more spiritual way of saying lucky or something like that. But that's not what it means. That's not what Makarios means. It truly means happy. And so an up-to-date translation of this from the Greek would be this. That he is the happy and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You guys, God is truly happy in his nature. So just as we would say, hey, God is holy, or God is love, or God is just, we could also say God is happy. Now, some of you might be having a hard time hearing me describe God in that way. Because all your life, you've primarily seen God as angry. And your common picture of God is that he's up in heaven pointing a finger at you, shaking his head at you, arms crossed, upset, condemning you, mad at what's going on. Here's, here's what I want to help you understand. In the Bible, the wrath of God and the anger of God are, re, are a response a holy response to sin. But his wrath and his anger are not eternal or essential attributes to his nature. In other words, let me put it this way. When there was no sin, God was not angry. He did not have any wrath. Because his anger and his wrath are a result of his holy and loving response to sin and injustice. Before sin, no wrath or anger, meaning they are not eternal attributes of God. God's holiness is, but his anger and wrath are just a response of his holiness towards sin. But in contrast, friends, God has always been, he has always eternally been and currently is and will forever be. essential eternal attribute of God. God is eternally happy in his nature. And guys, since God is eternally happy in his nature, it should be no surprise to us that in Scripture we often see God doing things that happy people 
would do. That God acts according to his joyful, happy nature. For example, the Bible says God rejoices over his people. Right, one of my favorite verses, I know it's one of y'all's, many of y'all's favorite verses, Zephaniah 3.17, which says, Yahweh your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will bring you quietness with his love. He will delight in you with what? Shouts of joy. Have you ever thought about God in that way? I love that we have a God who delights in us with shouts of joy. My daughter, Della, she's five. She's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, she um, has, for a long time, begged Krista and I to, that, to do gymnastics. And, um, you know, we just hadn't been able to work it out on her schedule. Finally, in the month of June, we signed her up for a month-long class of gymna- gymnastics. And she was, you know, just so excited. She gets there in the gym, and she's around a bunch of other kids who've been doing gymnastics for quite some time. And she's terrible. I mean, she is. I mean, I'll be, like, you know. I'll just be honest with you, you know, she's not very good. She doesn't know how to do any of that. She can't do a cartwheel. She can't do anything. But (laughs) she is just like, just oblivious, either oblivious to it, or I would like to think just so confident that she just, like, it doesn't phase her. And she's just so excited to be there. And so she's just having a blast. And she doesn't care about how she stacks up to everyone else. She's just doing it. And she is just, you know, everything she's doing has got a hop in her step. And she's just running from thing to thing. I mean, she's just having so much fun. And at the end of the gymnastics class, they would allow the parents, the parents weren't allowed to be in the gym while it was happening. But at the end of it, they let you come out on basically a balcony area and look down over the, the, where the gymnastics, the gym was and watch all the kids. And so I'm out there on this balcony and I'm watching my daughter try to do a cartwheel and I'm watching her try to stay on the balance beam. And I am just, you know, I'm just like full of joy. And I'm and I moved to just like shout. And I'm like, yeah, Della, way to go, girl. Woohoo, yeah. And she's like looking at me and trying to like tell me to shut up because I'm embarrassing her. But I'm just like so, and it's not because of just how great she is. It's just because I just love her. And I'm driving home that day. And I'm thinking, man, that's, that's Zephaniah. That's what God is like. Because you know that delights in you, shouts of joy. God acts according to his joy. Here's another example. I love the fact that when we read the Bible, we see that God is the author of feasts and parties and celebrations. You start reading the Old Testament, you see like it's all the time. God's saying, okay, I want you to remember this thing was really important. So here's what I want you to do. Don't work for a whole week and just everyone get together and have a big, have a big party. And so over and over again, sets up celebrations and parties and the rhythms within their calendar to help them remember things because God, he's saying, well, I want you to have a party. This is, you got to celebrate. I love it that when Jesus is teaching and he's looking for a parable to help communicate what he's trying to say, his go-to is often something like this. Hey, uh, there was a banquet or there was a, we- oh, a wedding or there was a party. I love that in the, the description Jesus gives of God in uh, Luke 15. This is how he describes him. When those Luke 15, if you remember, it's three stories all about uh, when, when a sinner repents and a loss is found and how God responds. Here's the description that Jesus gives in verse 10. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. 
Joy in the presence of God's angels. Because who is in the presence of God's angels? God is. <laughs> See, this is God full of joy anytime a sinner repents. Anytime we own, you know, recognize we've been believing and living a lie and we turn to God, he throws a party. There's joy in the presence of angels. I love at the end of Luke 15 where he tells the story of the prodigal son, and at the end of it, the father is explaining to the older son why the father had to throw a party when the prodigal son returned. And he says, he says this, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and was alive again. He was lost and he was found. I love that phrase. We had to. Like I couldn't help myself. We had to celebrate and rejoice. Guys, God acts according to his joy. It's like God is always talking about parties and looking for a reason to throw a party and to celebrate. Guys, who does that? Happy people do that. Because that's, that's what our God is like. And friends, because God is happy in his eternal nature, that is the reason he is the source of happiness. Happiness springs from him. It originates in him, which is why it grieves him so much when we turn from him and try in vain to find the source of happiness elsewhere. I think about what Jeremiah 2.13 says. When God is speaking to his people, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's meaning God is the true source, the spring of living water, where it originates from, where all living water that truly satisfied comes from, flows from. But if we forsake going to him and we, the true source, and we turn to other things to quench our thirst for happiness, all we find is broken systems, faulty sources that will not satisfy. And it's the reason why I want to give a few weeks to this topic of what makes you happy is, is because it breaks God's heart. And it breaks my heart, and I'm sure it, it, it breaks your heart. To, to see people, and even sometimes to be that person, who in their desire and thirst for happiness turn to broken cisterns, that cannot satisfy in hopes that this will actually give you the happiness you long for. And many times it actually just leads to making things worse and undermining your happiness to a completely different and greater degree. It breaks God's heart. God says, no, 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 don't, don't forsake me. Don't turn from me. I am the source of happiness. It originates in me. I've, I'm the eternally happy one. Come to me. Drink from the spring of living water. That's why Psalm 1611 says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Think about Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, and drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to the Lord. Now pause. Again, another example of, because today is holy to the Lord, what do you do? You party. You celebrate. We got to have fun. Like, eat the good stuff. Drink the good stuff. And then look how it ends. 
in, uh, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. Because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. Whose joy is your stronghold? Your joy? No, God's joy. If you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That phrase comes from this verse. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And guys, do you realize what that's saying? Like you recognize it's possessive. It's the Lord's joy that is your strength. The Bible, friends, I want to be clear, does not teach that life will be easy. It is not, you know, t- trying, it's not trying to say, okay, as long as, you know, because of this, you, you're going to always, you know, everything's going come to come really easy for you. It certainly doesn't teach that. There are people out there who will try to tell you that if you believe in Jesus and if you, you, know, you try to obey God, then your, your life will be blessed and full of happiness and everything will go well for you because that's, that's not the problem of Scripture. And Jesus says in John 16, that in this life you will have trouble. The Apostle Paul in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3 says that all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So that's the promise of Scripture. You'll have suffering and persecution. Sometimes life will kick you so hard you will not be able to breathe. But in the midst of that, where will you find happiness? In yourself? In your circumstances? In ice cream? In Netflix? In pornography? In the next drink? And the next distraction, as broken cisterns, they will not provide you what you're looking for. But here's the thing. It does exist. As Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is stronger than anything you will go through in this life. Some of you are in a very hard season right now. You need to receive this. You need to hear this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. For his happiness is a happiness that you can always count on. It's not going anywhere. It's a part of his eternal attributes. God is happy in his nature. And so his his happiness can be yours. It's consistently found in him. And why is this so important to get in your heart and your mind? It's because the evil one wants to convince all of you of one terribly destructive, happiness-stealing lie. That lie being God doesn't want you to experience true happiness. That he wants to keep you from it. That real happiness is found outside of God and God's will. Because that's the lie of the garden in Genesis 3. Come try this forbidden fruit. Then you'll have what you really want. Then you will be happy. Of course, the story of Genesis 3 shows us that the evil one is a liar. As Elf would say, he sits on a throne of lies. That's important for you to know. It's not true. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Now compare that to what Jesus says in John 10.10. A thief comes only to steal and kill, to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. 
Guys, who is truly vested and interested in your happiness? God is. God is. As a good father, he wants us to be happy, and out of his love for us, he points us to where true happiness is found. And here's what God says. It is found in me. You're eternally happy, God. Which, guys, means that the universal human desire to be happy is ultimately a desire for God. That your desire to be happy is ultimately a desire for your eternally happy God. It's a desire desire placed in you by God that is meant to lead you first to him, the true source of happiness. So here's what I want to encourage you to do with this. You know, the first message in this series is, is, is really not to do much other than to, to call yourself to believe something. But your first point of application in this series is, if you will, would be to, to wrestle down in your own heart, do you really believe God's the source of happiness? It's to call you to believe to, to, that God is the eternally happy God and that he is the spring of living water where happiness is truly found. Do you believe that? This week, wrestle with that. The rest of the series, we're going to get more practical. We're going to talk about how you can experience the greater intangible way the happiness found in God. But if you don't first believe that it's found first and foremost in Him, the rest of it isn't going to matter much. You have to believe this. Do you believe this? That's your application. I hope that you will wrestle with that this week. So let me just summarize as we kind of close. Okay, since you want to be happy... And since happiness is more about a who, not what, and since God is the source of happiness, then seek happiness first by going to the source, our eternally happy God. Or at least, if you're not ready to do that, at least consider coming back here next week, all right, for what makes you happy. Oh, I think you'll be happy if you do. How's that? Because the reason you'll be happy that you do is because God really is interested in your happiness. In fact, he's so interested in your happiness, so committed to your happiness, that at great cost to himself, God made the way for us to be restored into a relationship with him. Which is what we remember each week when we take communion together. For when we take communion, we are remembering that Jesus, the good shepherd, came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That he made that possible by laying down his life for us so that we could be restored back into a joy-filled relationship with God. He let his body be broken and his blood be poured out as payment for our sins, including our sin of forsaking the source of living water and turning to broken cisterns. That on the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's judgment so that we could for all eternity know the happiness found in drinking from the source of living water. May Jesus' death for us declare to our hearts God's commitment to our happiness so that we are moved to turn to him for the happiness we all desire and thus finding in him what makes us happy. I'm going to pray and then come up and take communion here in the back. Communion table is open to anyone who's placed their faith in Christ alone. Forgiveness of your sins. If you've never done that, if you've never heard how 
vested God is in your happiness, that he would come and die in your place so that you could enter into a relationship with him and find happiness, that I encourage you to even now consider believing that, that you'd use this time to place your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, that you could be united with God, our eternally happy God, and find the happiness you've always longed for. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, our oh, happy God, God, would you drive that into our hearts that we would know that this is true about you. God, that would you help us even believe it more fully as we take communion now and we see how interested, how committed you are to our happiness, that you would die in our place, that we could be reunited, reconciled, restored back to you and find the happiness that we long for and desire. God, would you help us believe this more fully? And would you be glorified in our minds and our hearts and our lives as a result? God, move us even now as we take communion and respond in praise to, to praise you from a heart full of joy in light of our God who is joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.